Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. So it's here, the Premier League, the inevitable football tide comes careering back around like a roller coaster ride. And this time it's for real. Packed stadiums, returning crowds, atmospheric, tense, heartfelt, once again loud and proud. So blow the dust off the turnstiles, wipe down the plastic chairs, and let us thrive reunited in the heart's wild affairs. So what's the deal? Who's in charge and who will be top dog? Welcome to the preview show to all the rank squad. Last year was all Man City. Can anyone reel them back? Or are they even better now that Pep? got hold of Super Jack. Perhaps the European champions now beg Roms back in blue. Will they be lifting the trophy in 2022? Injury crisis over. Big Jurgen will want his say. Perhaps his Reds will be returned to the summit come next May. And what of Man United now with Sancho and Varane? Can Oli finally deliver the goods now that he's got his man? The Gunners on the single focus now there's no European Knights. But numbers 10 and 7 for Hale Ends, brightest lights. Nuno in at Tottenham. But will he have Harry Kane? The future of the talisman hanging heavy over the lane. The Foxes took the plaudits in the Wembley curtain razor. Clever signings, clever manager, and Casper's focus laser. Rafa wearing blue now, Villa's signings 10 out of 10, and you're a fool if you dare to write Bielsa's leads off again. New faces in the dugout at Selhurst and Molyneux, while Brighton, Saints and Burnley trust the process that they knew. West Ham off to Europe. Can they fight on all three fronts? All not well on Tyneside because they're run by absolute difficult owners and over to the new boys Watford and Norwich back means that yellow is back in business in the survival chasing pack and what of little Brentford with their numbers and receipts and their funny little stadium with its multicolored seats the market is still open new chapters will be written and we're yet to see who cannot chew the mouthfuls they have bitten so strain upon the whistle every great story has a start and let the ups and downs begin once more to palpitate your heart once more into the madness once more into the throng once more into the terraced world of cheer and groan and song once more into the pleasure once more into the pain the premier league is back ladies and gents once again this is rags fc hello my name is jack collins and i will be your host today joining me it's the right god mr sam ty big fan of mike ashley are we oh huge fan huge fan and of course our transfer guru mr <laughs> dean jones that's very good mate that made me laugh it made me laugh as well. I can't believe you you used the phrase once more into about six times and the word breach wasn't used. I thought that was definitely coming. I tried to avoid it, you know, like whilst, whilst Shakespeare is one of my heroes, I, I try not to emulate him perfectly. So, um, you know, it's, it, it was good. I enjoyed myself. We, uh, uh, what back. I like, what you reminded me of actually is that the challenge we're going to have working out when Brentford Stadium is actually full or there's not <laughs> that many people there because of these multicoloured seats that are going to trick us into believing people are actually there. It's very oh, difficult. Very difficult so to work Brentford. it out. They're so clever. What a clever you little club. You're not fans of that approach? I quite like it, to be honest. It reminds me of, you know, when you watch like an under-19s game in, uh, Euro under-19s game in, in, in like, and all of the stadiums are in, I don't know, like Macedonia. Yeah. And... The, the seats are all the different colours because there's nobody there, obviously, because it's like a Euro under-19s in the middle of a pandemic. That's what I imagine Brentford Stadium is going to be like for the majority of this year. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, Dusseldorf actually have this patterning to their stadium, and I think it looks really nice. So I'm just going to lay off them a little bit. 
Fair enough, mate. It's uh, that's that's your prerogative. That yeah. is your prerogative. That's fun. Um, fan. This is ours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're not allowed. We're not allowed to like them. Um, but uh, Sam, it's basically over to you. It's going to be a, a Premier League preview. I'm excited for how you're going to work it through. So I, I suppose lay down the law and and we'll go from there. Yeah. So I mean, look, last season I think we did a, a sort of one to twenty predicted table. And I've gone along the same kind of lines, but I've been a little bit less specific. I don't think it really matters like who finishes 14th and 15th. And I also don't want to spend the time trying to figure that out because it doesn't matter. So what I did was I created six categories or buckets or sections of teams. We're going to go through them one by one and I've kind of grouped them together. So that's how we're going to preview the season. And what we're doing here is we're ultimately ranking expectations for Premier League clubs this season, depending on which bucket you end up falling into. So we start at the bottom. I think that's probably fair. And this is called the uh-oh bucket. Uh-oh, these play- these teams are in serious, serious danger. And there are four members of this category. We begin with Norwich, whose squad I think looks way off. Premier League standard. I'm re- I'm really sorry. Um, I quite like some of the business, and I'm really excited to see um, Milot Rashiska. I'm really excited to see Billy Gilmore play a full season in the Premier League. But ultimately, I can't get away from the idea that this Norwich team, once again, like the last time they were here, I just don't think they're strong enough across the board, and the depth is pathetic. It's pathetic, honestly. Wow, wow. that's quite a statement. But I, but they're working within a budget. They're working within a range. They're working within a model. I get it. And I, I understand it. And so I'm not going to be like, I don't think anyone could be that surprised by this. I mean, do, do you have wildly different expectations for Norwich? No, but I would suggest that their business has been pretty good, to be honest. If I'm honest, I, I think Rashitska, as you say, is an excellent signing. I'm, I'm less hot on from Josh Sargent, but I, yeah, think not ben, this. I think Ben Gibson is a really good signing for, for eight million of Burnley. I think Pierre Lise Malou from, from Nice is a really good signing. I'm, think that Angus Gunn going back there will will be loved. I think that the Billy Gilmore into that central midfield area, you know, Lise Malou and Gilmore coming in to strengthen that midfield is is quite smart business, I think. And then on top of that, they've added, you know, a, a left back in Demetrius Janoulis. They've added a, an extra depth option at centre forward. Now, I don't think Josh Sargent is going to play that many minutes because you look at the actual, what, what Norwich have going there in in Timu Puki and Adam Ida, and, and I, I worry that Josh Sargent has made a move here that's actually quite poor in terms of his career. But that's kind of by the by in, in many ways. They'll obviously miss the creative impetus that, that Emmy Buendia provided. But I do think that Norwich last year looked like a very, very competent, comfortable side. Um, and whilst, yes, the step up is is difficult, uh, they it's important to remember that they in qualif- you know, in, in in getting promoted automatically, in, in winning the championship, were a, a very, very, you know, solid unit. And I think they will believe in themselves that they've 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 seen what's happened last year round that last time round sorry in the in the premier league they've they've understood the the task ahead in trying to bond this group of players together and and I think they'll give it a better go than they did last time well I hope so because last time they were terrible and they were promoted into that season as champions of the championship and the best team in the championship and for whatever reason their style did not transpose to the premier league properly at all they got picked apart all too often. And Daniel Farker is the biggest key here. He needs to adapt his strategy and understand that you can't go up and play in the Premier League like they did in the Championship. And like the, one of the first things that happened in that season 
was they beat Manchester City at home 3-2 in a ridiculous end-to-end game. And I just wonder if it gave them a, a kind of a false idea of what was really possible for a team like that in a setting like this. So let's see if they've learned their lessons. But I'm looking at that squad and I am not, I'm not, a, I'm just not, yeah, I'm not feeling it. Um, and I think I can say the same for Watford as well. I think there's a lot of potential in the forward line. I have no idea how it's going to shape out. But I am worried for them that they're going to end up starting Troy Deeney way too often, who is not at this point really a Premier League caliber striker. And I take a look at those centre mids. And despite my fondness for Peter Atibo, I'm not feeling that Watford centre mid either. So that'd be my concern with them. And then to finish off this little bracket here, I've also got Palace in this danger zone. Obviously, a lot of change at Selhurst Park. Question marks over the new manager and Patrick Vieira. We're really not sure what we're going to get there. I love the recruitment. Just put that, make that clear. I love the recruitment. Love the 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 players that they've they've signed. There's just a lot changing here. It's all change. It's it's a it's a lot, and they've got to get a lot of things right very quickly. And I'd be a bit worried. And the final team in this bracket is Southampton, who squad was basically on the edge, and then Danny Ings left. And they're pretty tight as a club. They don't like to spend more than fifteen million pounds a player. That we're recording on Tuesday. Armando Broja has been. Uh, unveiled Adam Armstrong will sign I think later today or maybe on Wednesday but then there's this always this looming threat that someone like you know someone bids 15 million for Yannick Vestergaard and he just leaves you know that the Southampton board will accept that and it kind of plunges them back into turmoil they're constantly fighting against the tide here and I'm a little bit worried about them yeah I'm I mean I'm less worried I think I'm not less worried that's the wrong phrase but Palace, and I know, Dean, you, you feel strongly about Palace and, and this all change thing. So I'm going to throw it to you before I, I kind of say my piece. Well, yeah, I mean, it's similar to what Sam was saying, really. I just think from a neutral's point of view, it's really, really interesting to, to see what Palace are doing. And it's, you know, exciting from a supporter's point of view that you're getting a very different proposition now when you go to watch your team at Sellers Park than when Roy Hodgson was manager. But ultimately... Under Roy Hodgson, you knew you weren't going to be relegated. You knew that there were 14 players and 11 of those were going to play. Um, <laughs> you could pick the team pretty much every single week. They were all experienced. They all had the know-how to get through matches. Even when they suffered bad stretches, they knew how to recover from them. And you are now going into the complete opposite of that with you know, an untested Premier League manager and a lot of untested players, to be honest with you. And I actually took a call earlier from somebody who suggested that Tottenham might be coming in for Wilfred Zaha and if that happens and they lose Zaha then there is big trouble to come but um, we'll have have to wait and see how that one pans out I need to check it out a bit further but um, yeah that wouldn't be good at all because he is I mean under Roy Hodgson I I had close links to Palace under Hodgson and they Zaha was everything to them because he was the one player they always knew could give them that something different, and they have got a bit more option in that sense now. But still, he's your he's your he's your star man. Take that away, and you really are going down, to be honest. Um, but I say that Zaha does want to leave, so he is one of those players that doesn't play consistently enough at the highest level. So yeah, there's. They've they've been unbeaten in pre-seasons. This all sounds very harsh, and there's a lot of optimism around around Crystal Palace, the supporters, and there the is, players. They're all buzzing, aren't they? Honestly. Yeah, it, there's a real feel-good factor. So for us to come on here and, and pour cold water over it, this seems a little bit harsh. I've just seen it before. I've seen Fulham, for example, like trying go get promoted and bring in too many players because the players they had weren't up to it. 
and that's failed. And this is kind of similar to what Fulham have done, to be honest. I, I'm a little bit hotter on Palace. I'll, I'll be honest. I, I'm, I mean, I am the optimist of this podcast at uh, the best of times, but I, I quite like the squad. And I think that there is, yes, definitely an element that if it goes wrong, it could go really wrong. And I appreciate that. Um, but I also do think there's there's about a 50% chance it goes really right. And, and, and Palace look really sharp. Now, None of us are hugely convinced yet by Vieira, by Vieira's track record, by what he's done, what he did at Nice, by what he did in New York. It is, it, none of it is, is, is jumping out to me. But I do look at this squad and think, okay, there's a fair amount of talent here. And I think that, you know, bringing in Gay and, and, and Joachim Anderson to kind of go alongside Kuyate and, and someone like James Tompkins is relatively okay. Um, obviously, Mitchell at left back has been excellent. I think they probably need a wee bit of backup there now, given that Patrick Van Aanholt has left. The Conor Gallagher's come in in the middle. He, I think he's going to be a, a massive player from this year. Jairo Wiedewald is, is a good player. And then you look at you know these these attacking options now in, in, in Michael Elise. You look at Zaha. You look at Ayu. You look at Mateta. Even Benteke looks like he's having a good preseason and that's you know without the fact that the Berriette is is to come back still there's a lot going on here that that I do like and and I think that Palace will be all right that's that's, that's my take on it I think Palace will will finish relatively comfortably outside the relegation spots at the at the end of the day yeah and I'm surprised Brentford aren't in the uh-oh yes yeah, so I mean I mean it brings us on to the next category um, which is the Participants Award for the 2021-22 season. Thank you very much for participating. You achieved very little, but you didn't go down. And this is where Burnley and Newcastle feel very, very comfortable. And that's where I've put them. Newcastle, crap to watch. Probably not one of the worst three teams, though. They'll probably do enough, won't they? They'll probably find a way. And they do, they might to be fair. some players. I mean, they've already got... The thing is, like, you, you measure up the teams at this stage of the season. It's like, do you have enough difference makers? Do you have the goals to get you out of trouble? And in Wilson and San Maximan and Willock and Almiron, the answer is, for me, is probably yes. So just coasting to a kind of 14th to 16th place finish somewhere in here, along with Burnley, who will finish 14th and absolutely be delighted with it. And I'm going to put Brentford in this little bracket as well. And I think it is there is a risk to this. Um, I do think that a bad start could cripple them. I do think they might be a little bit naive at times. But I actually do feel like they're the team that Norwich should be, which is the team that are sort of coming up with quite a lot of momentum and a really positive wave. And I, I do tend to look at that in a very positive light. And I do tend to take a shine to those kind of teams. So I haven't just done this to wind you boys up. Um, I do think that Brentford can actually put enough points on the board early enough to make this okay. It'd be a yeah. massive achievement for them, to be honest. It'd be, like, It'd be huge. Yeah. Yeah. Like they wouldn't just see that as participating. They would see that as winning the league, basically, if they stay in it. Because, you know, not only have they never been in the Premier League, but to stay in it back to back seasons, that'd be a huge achievement for them. And I'm not saying it's impossible. I just think it's very unlikely. I just think that, Sam, you've just said you're talking about difference makers, right? And you're, you're talking about players who can take games by a scruff of the neck and, and be the difference. And, and I completely appreciate that when it comes to Newcastle United, right? I think you're absolutely spot on. I don't see that at Brentford. I see that far more at someone like Southampton than I do at Brentford. I look at this squad and I don't know how many of these players are, are ones who are going to, to make that difference. You know, people are going to talk about Ivan Tony, whether he, you know, adapts to the Premier League and, and, and kicks on or not, I think is, is a pretty reasonable question. I think the bringing in of, of Chris Azure is, is a really, really good signing. I think that's going to be a really crucial piece of business for Brentford. But I look at the rest of the squad and I'm not overly sold. I think Mbuemo is a good player. Um, but, 
the long spells in the championship last season was was either injured or ineffective and they relied on 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 kind of that kind of dragging themselves over the line after to be perfectly honest with you that's that that side in the championship should have got automatically promoted and i think that they're a little bit lucky in some ways that they actually have managed to get through and i, I i'm I, i'm not that convinced by Brentford, although I will say this, that I've been burned before by suggesting that Brentford will not be able to bring in the requisite quality to replace outgoing sure or or make a step up. Um, we when when they lost, even you go back a long way, they lost Andre Gray, they brought in Neil Morpe. They lost Neil Morpe, they brought in Ollie Watkins. They lost Ollie Watkins. You know, they brought in even Tony. It, it, it has been a, a real collective and, and you can go, that's not just strikers. You look at losing someone like Chris Mepham and bringing in Ethan Pinnock, right? It, it does kind of go through and, and the way that Brentford have uh, replaced and dealt with the fact that they've lost key players over and over again it is really impressive. And, and I've said it before that if this was Blackburn or Preston, I'd be falling over myself to praise their recruitment strategy. Um, and I'm not allowed to do that. But there is a point to be made that they have done well in this regard. And I don't want to rule them out because I think they have the capacity to do so again. But right now I look at this squad and I'm not convinced. Yeah, I think it gets harder as well to start replacing quality on quality when you actually move up a league as well. Uh, it might sound a bit strange to say, but I think they would have had a very long short list of, well, so a long list of strikers in the championship. You go, okay, if we lose this guy, we can get this guy. If we lose this guy, we can get this guy. But finding those goals at Premier League level, so, so difficult. So a lot of this is on Ivan Tony. A lot of this is on Burmo. And I really like both of those players and that's part of it. And I love their new signing, Frank the Tank as well. Frank Onyenka. Frank Onyeka. Um, So it's, I, I accept it's... Um, it's a, it's a small punt um, and a lot of people would be like, well, and you guys as well would be like, well, you know, swap the red and white stripes, swap Brentford and, and Southampton in yeah. in mm-hmm. this table. Maybe I'm too close to Southampton. Maybe I'm too worried. You never mm-hmm. know. Uh, but anyway, that's the, that's, the, that's the second bracket done and we move into what I'm calling mid-table mediocrity, which is roughly 10th to 13th place. We'll start with Wolves. Not a clue. Not a clue what's going on here. Jack talked about it on Friday on Patreon. I have nothing to add other than I don't know what the hell is going on. Bruno Lage, complete unknown. Raul Jimenez and his uh, fitness and his, his, his ability to play football in 90 minutes is, is, a, is a complete unknown. They've used like four different formations in preseason. I don't know what's going on, but the mean level of talent in this Wolves team means that I don't think any of us are going to be expecting them to be going down, right? So we'll just stick them in this bracket. Um, Along with Brighton, who probably just need to be a little bit less unlucky than last year. And they'll probably sail to safety, to be honest with you. They might even push top 10 if they're just a bit bit less unlucky. And then onto the two sort of maybe slightly more contentious shouts here, considering we're outside of the top 10 for the most part. Everton, who I do have worries about. I think there's a big black cloud over their season opening got battered in pre-season in that final game against United. It didn't look good. Doesn't look like James Rodriguez fancies playing football for this team anymore. And he's their best player. Not convinced that Rafa Benitez's tactics are necessarily as effective in 2021 as they were in 2011. And then finally, I'm going to put West Ham in this bracket too, because that squad is paper thin. They have one striker and he's the most injury prone striker in the league. And that they cannot afford to sustain a single injury to Suchek or Rice. Because if, if they do, Mark Noble's back in, boys. And I think there must be a drop-off coming, given they're fighting on three fronts and they're making big trips in the Europa League. It's going to be an amazing experience for them. 
but they don't have the squad to cope with this. I think I don't know. that's I think, a fair point. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I think they'll be all right, but I, I think that given the fact they will want to do well and want to kick on in Europe, it might just affect their... You know, we talked about this on, on Monday's show with, with Villarreal, right? Uh, we talked about the fact that what, sometimes you get into Europe and you're like, actually, the league campaign is a bit of a sideshow here because we're not going down, we're not getting relegated, there's, there's no chance of that happening. And yet, you know, that we can try something fun in in terms of getting somewhere in Europe and something that the fans will love. So I, I wouldn't blame them for not writing off the Premier League season. Obviously, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but but sort of focusing and, and focusing their efforts on Europe because it's something that's, that's new and exciting. And it feels like an adventure in many ways when, when at the moment, you know, fans have had very little to sing and shout about. Yeah, I mean, West Ham fans were worried about this season, I think. But then in pre-season, they beat, they've beaten Celtic 6-2. They've beaten Brentford. They beat Atalanta 2-0 the other day. They um, <laughs> haven't lost Declan Rice. Um, David Moyes, for a little bit, looked like he might go to Everton. That didn't happen. Um, there's a general feeling coming back that actually this is all going to be okay. And they will sign another forward. Like It will be late on now. Um they're scrambling around to figure out what they can do and they've gone through a lot of targets already. If they can't find somebody that they buy, then they'll loan somebody. You know, think people like Luka Jovic now coming back available again. So there's going to be players like that, that that are looking for a club and West Ham can sign somebody like that um, to compete back up and, you know, rotate, I guess, with with Antonio. So they'll they'll get someone in there and then they're, they're going to get a centre-half in, Milinkovic or Kurt Zuma. Either of those, I think, will be a good addition. Um, I actually think they're going to be fine. I think they'll. I think they'll probably have a similar season to last. To be honest, I, th- I think that there's not going to be a massive drop off. The, the one I am actually interested in there that you mentioned it is Wolves because I think that we're going from one extreme to another almost because uh, from all accounts, Bruno Large is playing a much more high intensity game. There'll be a lot more of the high press, and you know, Wolves' numbers last season weren't great in terms of. Um, you know, running stats and things like that. But that's going to be very different this year and there's going to be much more um, impetus on attacking football and entertaining. And, you know, a lot of what Wolves did was very successful for a long time um, under Nuno, but that did kind of drift away in that last year. And I think it'll be nice to see them try something different with this set of players um, and just putting a... It's a bit of a risk, obviously, because you're going... You're changing philosophies, but... I think Wolves kind of needed it. I agree with you in in terms of I, I feel like the Wolves fans expected them to to kick on and stop being such a reactive side. I think in, yeah. uh, under Nuno, which is fair enough, but I've not seen anything to suggest that that that's going to be the case. Well, I mean, we've seen as Sam mentioned there four different formations: four four two against Crew, where they lost one nil; four two three one against Betis, they won one nil; four four two against Las Palmas, they lost three two; five two three against Stoke, where they drew one all; four three three against Coventry, where they won one two one, and then a five two three again at the weekend against. Celta Vigo when they lost 1-0 and look there are some positives Raul played 77 minutes in that game that, that's got to be something that, that people are looking for we saw Tincao play on one side Adama on the other Neves Moutinho pivot still holding tight in the middle Connor Cody back in the middle of a back five where he basically belongs and is the place he can play mm-hmm. but you know that formation and that team it's just not particularly different to to what we saw on, under Nuno, and and I think that they look. I watched the second half of that game, you know, in, in hindsight, and and Wolves were much better second half by all accounts. They appeared to be quite poor in the first half from, from what I've read, and they were they were 
okay in the second half. They, you know, created chances. They they did look to get on the front foot a little bit more. But I'm con- confused about what Bruno Lage is trying to do. I'm a little bit confused about his use of personnel in pre-season. Um, and I'm just a little bit unsure that Wolves are going to get off to the start they need. I, I think there's a shout to be made. I wouldn't go so far as to say that this is my prediction, but I think there is a fair shout to be made that Bruno Lage could be the first manager sacked this season if he doesn't get this right, because there's a lot going on here. And, and I don't know where he where his head's at in terms of, we're, look, we're three days ahead of the new season now. like, And, and I'm still unsure as to how Wolves are going to line up on day one. Yeah, I don't. I don't know either, and that, well, no one does. I don't think Bruno Lage does, but like, we know that there's a a mean level of quality running through the squad, which means they'll they might they might not achieve what they want to. They might not kick on, but I don't think they're going to be in that conversation a bit further down. And the point to hammer home with West Ham there, Dean was like, they did actually finish sixth last season. I don't think the squad is capable of doing a Europa League campaign and finishing sixth in this Premier League season. Like, there's gonna the drop off that I'm talking about here means that they drop into like tenth, eleventh. It's not a disaster. It's just one of those things. Like, just want to make that clear to West Ham and Wolves fans. Like, it's not all doom and gloom. I did actually see um, a really nice piece on the Wolves conundrum by Mark Thompson the other day, and he used a wonderful line that I wanted to just repeat to you guys. He said, "Last season, Connor Cody played so deep, light couldn't reach him." Uh, and he wondered if Bruno Lage would be changing that. I thought that was excellent. <laughs> and you're right. And, and it, it does, it, it kind of really paints the picture of what Nuno's walls were. You know, centre of the back three just sat so deep, you know, and, and he's if he's trying to change that, he's got a hell of a task on his hands. It's not too dissimilar to what Palace are seemingly trying to achieve going from Hodgson to Vieira. Uh, um, we should probably just quickly discuss Everton here because a lot of people might be a little bit confused that, that Everton are in here. You know, it, they're, they're a big club. Um, you know, a Premier League stalwart. Uh, and yet, you know, it, it just seems to be, as you say, black clouds hanging over the horizon at Goodison. And and in that regard, it feels a bit odd. It's like Rafa's there. The fans don't want him. The signings have been relatively uninspiring. I, I don't think they're bad signings. I just don't think they're good signings either. It, it just It's just a bit sort of, okay, cool. Like the, these players now play for Everton. And it, I guess what this whole feels like, I mean, Hammers has spoken about his admiration for Carlo Ancelotti and the fact that he loves him so much and he's a bit confused as to what to do now that he's not there. You know, your your best player potentially doesn't want to play. You're in a bit of a hole, I think, if you're Everton because it, it doesn't seem like anything's really going their way. No, and again, let's point to last season for the contrast. Like, it feels like things have got worse this summer at Everton. Like, it does. With the managerial thing, as you say, with the fans not liking him, with with Hammers perhaps feeling a little bit sad or unmotivated or however you want to call it, it feels like they've taken a step backwards. And for all the fun and hype and excitement over Everton last season, they finished 10th. So what we're basically saying is, we think they're going to take. We think they've taken a step backwards, and last season they finished tenth. So they can't really not be in this bracket unless you think it's going to go really wrong, and then they're in with Newcastle, Burnley, or even lower, which would be a very bold call, one that I'm not making. But like this is very reasonable for Everton given what's happened. I think that's completely fair enough. I think that's, that's spot on. Um, and, and with that, we should probably shift into our. Uh... Well, into the top half of the table at the very least. Next category called the Conference Dreamers. These three teams are within a shout of playing in the greatest club competition in European football. The best thing UEFA has ever designed, the Europa Conference League. So these are the seven, eight and nine positions. And in this bucket, we've got Leeds, who 
well, had a phenomenal return season to the Premier League and finished ninth last season. And I look at what they've done. I quite like the business. I quite like how they've built the squad. But I'm not necessarily sure that they are primed for another big step forward. I think they're probably, they've put themselves in a position where in replacing Alioski with Junior Firpo and you know signing Jack Harrison permanently and not doing that much else, if anything else at all, they're probably setting up for a consolidation season which may sound a bit boring for a hyper ambitious club and you know managed by a wonderful manager but just consolidating in the top 10 of the premier league would be a massive achievement you were in the championship a year ago so i i think leeds are probably in that kind of line and that's where I've, this is where i've also put villa as well which are a bit of a tough read because they've lost their captain their talisman their best player in grealish but in response they've replaced him with three players and they've actually struck five deals because they've taken Ashley Young home and they've got Axel Twanzebe back as well. It's been a very emotional summer for Villa, hasn't it? Um, I wonder if they stood still. If not, they've maybe regressed ever so slightly. But in diversifying the attack with Buendia and Ings and Bailey, I think they've done a pretty good job of covering for the loss of Grealish here. So Villa actually ended up sort of trudging to 11th last season. And I think I've got them sort of slipping into the top half. That may sound like... Sam, they've lost Grealish and they're, they're not going to go up. But it was a bit of a strange one where 55 points got you 11th last season. In most other seasons, that gets you sort of 8th or 9th. So I think they're on a relatively decent track. And then we come to basically the top dogs in this little section. And they've burned me before, damn it. But it looks like I'm sipping the Kool-Aid again on Arsenal. Nothing but good moves this summer. And I, I can't help but look at this team and just like it, like quite a lot. You go back to front. I really like the centre-half pairing now. Gabriel and Ben White, I think it complements itself really nicely. I mean, Kieran Tini, if he can just stay fit, is a real game-changer. Got Emil Smith-Rowe coming on. They've got Saka, who's brilliant. Pepe looks like he is starting to find his feet. Aubameyang sorted himself out last season. They retained Xhaka. Thomas Partey's still there for season two. Like Everywhere I look, I'm like, this team should be good. Obviously, there's that 10% of my brain that goes, Sam, it's Arsenal. Like, they'll find a way to screw this up. So I have held them outside that top six, but I do have them as superior to Villa and Leeds and have them kind of solid in that seventh spot. Mm, okay. I mean, I, I think it's an interesting toss-up here between Arsenal and Tottenham and, and obviously see what happens at the lane. I, I feel like Arsenal feel a little bit... This is, this is a statement because Arsenal never feel stable, but they feel more stable than Tottenham right now as far as I'm concerned yeah. um yeah. I, I think that's where that's where I am with it so so it's if that's the case then it's quite a funny one to be like oh okay um you know could you have Tottenham above them I suppose the the big question hinges on on the future of a certain England captain and and, and how that one shakes out so yeah I can understand I probably would have had Arsenal ahead of Tottenham if I'm perfectly honest with you this season I think that they will I think they will progress. And I think that the fact that they only have to fight on a domestic cup and domestic league front will actually help them settle a little bit. Um, and I don't think that's going to push them into a Champions League conversation by any stretch of the imagination. But I do think it pushes them above Tottenham in my ranking. So I would probably have them in the top six uh, with Tottenham just below them. But but yeah, I think I, I think that's fair enough. I just think it all depends on what we get from Arteta and Aubameyang this season, doesn't it? Because... If Arteta can prove himself to be the coach that he was hyped to be, um, and that a lot of people still talk about him to be, and if Aubameyang can get back to where he was 
Well, how long ago was it now? Was it? It was still good at the start of last season, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah it would have been. Season it was still good at the start year. of last season, the end yeah. of and end of the season before. If you get back to that, Arsenal are fine, and they they'll get into the top six. And that's to be honest, where they have to be now because um, anything but a return to European football is really a disaster um, in terms of. Wow, what do you mean? Just, seventh gets a European football, Dean? I don't know what you're on about. No, it doesn't count. I'm not. I'm not including seventh in this conversation. Um, that's that wouldn't be good enough for them because what they need it's about the money, right? It's about the money that comes with European as as well as the type of players you can attract. And I've talked many times this summer about how Arsenal found it difficult to gauge who who they can sign anymore and who would be interested in them. And we've seen that in their pursuit of a creative midfielder and a striker. They haven't signed either of those people yet that are going to be. Guys, I guess, that can help define their season, whether it's a James Madison or whoever it ends up being, um, Lataro Martinez, whatever. Um, if those guys don't come, then yeah, it's all on Aubameyang and then you're hoping that Pepe steps forward. You can get another season out of Lacazette. Um, Smith Rowe can step it up again. There's hope there, but... He's got the 10 shirt now. He's, uh, yeah. The pressure's on. Makes it difficult, doesn't it? Because I feel like these players, particularly with regard to like maybe like a James Madison or like a Hussam Alwa, um, when they're assessing the case of Arsenal, because they're not in any European competition at all for the first time mm. in so long, it's, it's kind of fair enough if they're sat there going, well, I'll just, I'll just wait a couple of weeks and see what happens. Like, mm. I'm not saying Arsenal's a last resort because that would be ridiculous, but they're well within their rights to see who comes along in that last week and if there is European football on offer because it is yeah. an obvious obvious draw to players and yeah. I feel like Arsenal were they're pursuing the right level of player they're just in a bit of a tough spot there where they can't really nail them down this early can they someone like Laconga, fine absolutely step up yeah. from Belgium no problem but and if, you're, James, if you're Madison team. you're waiting aren't you yeah I'd say as well this is Arteta's team now more or less isn't it like uh, when he first came in and you were like he had so many different issues to deal with and the club was a bit chaos and stuff and um, but now he's had enough time there that you, there can't really be any more excuses. Like they really can't. Um, they've had they've had good back back in in this this window. They've had time to get set themselves straight. They haven't got that European weight on them this season, so they can prepare for each game. We've seen sides use that to their benefit. So, yeah, big season for Arsenal. Yes, I mean, I've got them in seventh, and I do have Spurs in sixth, and I can absolutely accept cases to be flipped here. I mean, I. I don't know what to make of Spurs. Who does? Um, this Kane thing is obviously weighing extremely heavy over their heads and their preparation for the new season. They've changed manager. They're talking about diversifying the formation, the style of play. Um, they're talking about buying Lautaro Martinez to play with Kane. About 50% of people are pretty sceptical about that. You know, they'd say, actually, is he more of a replacement, that kind of thing. And so much of it just depends on what happens with their striker and what happens with regard to Manchester City. And it's just. It's just impossible to get a proper read on this. But yeah, I've gone back and forth on Nuno at Spurs. I was pretty underwhelmed initially. Then I've come round to it a bit more. Then I've gone a bit down on it again. But at the end of the day, it's the same argument that I've used for a team like uh, West Ham or a team like you know Everton or Wolves. Like, There's enough mean quality here to be putting Tottenham in this conversation for top six, top seven, even if they end up losing Harry Kane whoever they replace him with, because they already have very good players. Like Christian Romero is a wonderful signing and they've managed to tie down Son again. Like this is a huge victory for Tottenham. Like how has no one come in for Son over the last three years? Like he's about as guaranteed goals as you can get from a wide forward hybrid striker role. And seemingly not one of the big guns has really ever sort of 
slapped 60 million on the table and gone, what do you reckon? I don't it's, know if you've heard, but Barcelona and Real Madrid have broke. Um, I mean, so over the last three, four years, mate, like it's, it, it astonishes me really that like even like Bayern Munich didn't even ask that question seemingly you know, over the last couple of years when they were having to transition out of Robin and Ribery. And it is really difficult for some people to, or for Spurs fans, I'm sure, to get out of their own heads on the Kane thing. But I'm just here to remind you that like there's some really, really good players here. They're a really good team. And uh, I do have them in sixth behind Leicester. And for the first time in several years, like, yes, I've got Leicester fifth, but I'm not thinking, I'm not thinking possible top four. For the last couple of years, I've thought, yeah, they could, they might be able to do this. They might be able to crack it. They could put, they could mount a challenge this time. I just think even with some great recruitment again, brilliantly well-run club, great depth, this top four just seems different class this time around. And it's even for me beyond a team like Leicester. Mm, maybe, maybe. I, I think that there are still some variables in here that, you know, we're, we're not quite sure exactly how, you know, we, we see how Liverpool bounce back, right? We see how Man United shape up with their new signings. Yes, on paper, it all makes sense. I wouldn't write Leicester off just yet, I don't think. Um, I mean, look, we saw them at the weekend play the, the Community Shield and, and win the Community Shield, right? And you mentioned at the top, like, they, they've gone there and, and beaten City in the curtain race. And now I know the Community Shield is slightly more than a glorified friendly but you know it, it does take a point that you look at it and go okay all right they're, they're, they're still competitive with the top sides with the team that ran away with the title last year um and, and I think that that's probably a, a marker for the season now does that mean that they're going to be able to compete across the course maybe not but I do think that as you say the recruitment gives them depth you know they haven't lost any one major they've also had a little wee injury crisis themselves last season with with Madison and Barnes um and and they managed to get through that and 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 go and win the FA Cup now they didn't you know they felt a little bit short in in, in terms of the league but I don't think that that's going to be too much of a problem this year. You look at who they brought in and and what they've done there. They, they think that I think that they can they can sustain a challenge very much so for this top. Wasn't four. Wasn't there that season. stat last season that they spent more time in the top four than any other club? Yeah. And they over still the last three it. over the last three seasons. And they still they, they still didn't make it last year. So um, that oh, opportunity right. is not going to be there. Like the league's going to be different this year, and it is. Very, very difficult to see the top four not being the top four that you are expecting. Like it's we probably say it at the start of every season, but I, I really, really struggle to see it. No, it's very disheartening. Over the last few years, we have sat here and gone, Leicester could do this. They yeah. could, they could. We've even said it about Spurs and Arsenal, but yeah. for the first time in several years, I'm sat here going, sorry, boys, that the, the, the teams I'm about to name as the top four, I am convinced will yeah. just be the top four. Go on then, hit us with them. At four, I've put United, um, which, I mean, they finished second last year and like five points clear as well of third place. So in in the raw form, this feels like regression, but I don't think it's that. I think we've said it a lot of times, like United's second place finish last year felt a little bit false and possibly not quite truthful or honest based on what had happened over the course of the season. And yeah, they've gone and added Varane if he signs if he signs his contract any day. How's, how long has it been now? Three years? Come on, mate. Complicated. Very complicated. Very complicated. This is like when they were going to send sign Nico Gaitan all over again. This <laughs> <laughs> is like when we set up Ranks FC and how long it took us to sign contracts. Yeah, probably. Yeah, but Varane and Sancho <laughs> in the door. I mean, a brilliant start. A genuinely brilliant start. But 
I said it a couple of weeks ago, this this is what they needed to do just to stand still. This doesn't take them forward because of the calibre of the competition and the high bar that's been set at the top of the Premier League. We've got a fresh Liverpool coming back. We've got Salah and Mane having a summer off. We've got a climatised Thiago. We've got Harvey Elliott breakout season. They've got five centre-backs now. They don't have to play Reese Williams or Nat Phillips any longer. Trent Alexander-Arnold's had a full summer off and a pre-season. Like, Liverpool are back in this conversation and that that door is not open for a team to kind of slip in ahead of them, which I think is what happened last season. So I've got Liverpool in third. I've got Chelsea in second. I mean, I pro- I would have done this with or without Lukaku, to be honest. I would have had them second without him because Thomas Tuchel is a serious, serious manager and this 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 machine that he's built at Chelsea is just scary. Which is the same sort of thing you can say for the other lads, can't you? Manchester City, all they've done is gone and added a game breaker of a player who if Pep's plan A, plan B and plan C doesn't work, he can just ask Jack Grealish to dribble into the box and get fouled and win a penalty. You know, what a, what a way to diversify what you've got and what a way to add an extra layer to your attack. So I've got City retaining the title. I've got Chelsea running them extremely close. Liverpool in third and then Man United in fourth. <laughs> this is impossible, isn't it? You, you might as well have put these in a hat and picked them out one by one. I mean, yeah, obviously you have to put City top, I think, but... United and the Liverpool discussion, I mean, we we don't know. I mean, Liverpool, for me, I really don't know what we're getting this time around. I mean, if you looked at that spell they had last season, we didn't even think they were going to be in the discussion for top four, and then they managed to have a run that got them in there. Um, obviously, Van Dijk coming back into the side this season will be a big boost. I don't think he'll be there in the first few weeks of the season, though. No. I think mm. it'll probably be Matip and... Um, Oh, no, so, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think that's how they'll start. And then you look at the front three, obviously haven't made any proper signings yet. And when Aldam hasn't been replaced, and you look at the top three and you're like, it seems like, you know, Salah and Mane will play every week as usual. And maybe Jota comes in instead of Firmino. Like that's the, that's the vibes that we're getting out of Liverpool at the moment as he becomes more of a starter and Firmino has to prove that he's worth getting back in there. Um, and can these guys, especially Salah, get through another season playing the full thing. I think got AFCON as well. Uh, yeah, they will do, yeah. Yeah, they will, so, that, so there's that that as well for Liverpool to contend with. You know, they've got Salah and Mane going away. Uh, Cater as well, I guess. Um, Cater's not really available, though, is he, to play football? So well, I don't think he's played football for years. Yeah, you know what? It's a big season for him. and It's huge, isn't it? It's it's, it cost 50-odd million pounds and was hyped into this, you know, supposed to be such a transformative player for, for the club. And it just hasn't gone anywhere near where they were expecting. And he's had a good pre-season by all accounts. And um, he's had a he's had a good preseason. It's a massive season for him. He's already on the back foot because Harvey Elliott is the talk of the town. Yeah, like, but yeah, you know. Harvey Elliott, I don't expect to stay in the conversation. We often see this in preseason where a young player takes his chance for a bit, but it doesn't manage to stay in. But yeah, it's going to score a lot of Norwich. different. Yeah, there's a lot of different influences that are going to impact on Liverpool, and it's going to be tough for Jurgen Klopp to manage it and. Getting back to where they were when they were Premier League champions feels like a long, long time ago now. That And um, obviously their fans have missed a lot of the good times. Now they're back in there. They need to really, really hope that that positivity and that togetherness can pull them through because they, they really could have done with two sign-ins. Maybe they still will, but they haven't signed a midfielder. They haven't signed a forward that you just feel 
they do need in terms of depth if they're going to actually challenge for the title. Yeah, I do think that there is something to be said about the midfield. And, and you mentioned Abby Cater there. We talked about the fact that Thiago has had well, a year of, well, a sort of in and out year to, to try and settle. You know, you, you add that to the, the midfield already there. And there is enough depth in that, in that central midfield area, I think, to carry them through a season as long as you don't get three huge injuries. Now, Liverpool last year have seen what happens when you get three injuries or four injuries in a, in a key position and how things can go south. But there is still a lot of players in here that, that can do a job. And I are a top elite Premier League quality. And, you know, Fabinho, Henderson, Thiago, Cater, there's there, there's a lot going on here. And that's before you add in, you know, the likes of, of a player like James Milner who can play there, the likes of a Harvey Elliott who can play there as rotation options. And I think one thing we've seen in, in, in pre-season is, is Taki Minamino come back into the fold um, <laughs> and, and look like he's going to be part of the He was absolutely excellent last night. Um, I watched their preseason game. and As was Firmino, was, actually, as well. Firmino, just as we were talking Firmino about and Jota. Taki Minamino were yeah. excellent. Really, really good. Um, and, and so, therefore, maybe that's the, there's the plan, you know, to, to finally ingratiate someone like Minamino into this attack. Um, who, <laughs> maybe, maybe that spell away and the spell of, of game time he got at Southampton was enough to convince Liverpool that he should be, you know, a, an element of, of this is going forward and that he's now comfortable in a Premier League environment. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I think Dean's points are, are very fair though, and particularly the AFCON point is um is very, very fair. And yeah, I've got I've got them in three. I, I've got the City and Chelsea tussle as, as the as the real, real title challenge. Just for Liverpool, that Van Dyke element having to ease him back in a little bit. Um can't expect too much too soon and and and, and maybe some absences along the way. I think I think I that makes me feel comfortable pop, popping them in third. Yeah. Um, and Man United, it just feels weird to put United down two spots having signed Varane and Sancho. But this, as I keep saying, man, this is the bar. This is the bar at the top of the Premier League. This is this is the league that is just stealing everybody's players, just spending and spending and spending while everybody else is bankrupt. And it really shows at the top. Hmm. Yeah. I think that's what is enough. it that you think that like, st- what stops Man United from being considered as title contenders like what's the main thing that that holds you back i mean city and chelsea no i mean like from within from themselves obviously the, the overwhelming strength of the pack is is obviously a concern there and when you start to compare them up to those ext- extremely strong teams you obviously compare them position by position and you compare the managers this this is the way it goes and united are lacking compared to city and chelsea in three areas for me which is holding mid right back and manager now, there's not a lot you can do about the last one because they just gave him a new deal. And that will forever make me hold them back apart from away from sort of City and Chelsea in these kind of stakes because City and Chelsea have got two of the three best managers in the world and United don't have anyone anywhere near that. I mean, I suppose the the big question remaining is, you know, you've got Chelsea second here, but I'd imagine there will be a lot of people who think that with Lukaku added to this side, and you said it yourself, without with or without Lukaku, you would have had them second. I've tipped and I will tip Romelu Lukaku to win the golden boot do you think that changes anything at the top I told you to be cautious on that I told you I said Adam Armstrong is going to join Saints you want to be careful with your money there Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting if if City don't get Kane because if City don't get Kane then they're going into the season without a nine Um, don't need one mate they don't know. I mean, they, maybe they, and maybe they don't maybe they don't but they obviously felt they did if they were going after Harry Kane of course, yeah. I mean, he's an absolute game changer, isn't he? That's 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 the thing. Um, and it is interesting. I mean, they do obviously still have the options. Maybe if they don't get Kane, then Jesus isn't allowed to leave. 
although he's not really the man that's going to carry you to a Premier League title. Mm-hmm. Maybe Ferran Torres takes another step forward and becomes something. Maybe it's Raheem Sterling. You know, maybe it's Gundogan again. Maybe it's just anyone. Maybe they're just going to play Laporte there. He doesn't have a role yeah. right now. No, yeah. he's, he's locked out the side at the moment. So <laughs> yeah, I just think that like, if, if City don't get Kane, then Chelsea have a much stronger case of of winning the title. If if City do get Kane, I mean, <laughs> I, I I can't see that City don't win the league. I mean, if they don't, then. Oh. Something's gone badly wrong, yeah. hasn't it? Really, Travis, Steve. So, yeah. <laughs> you really, it really has. Be about um, two hundred and forty. Or Harry Kane's on... got injured about two weeks into the season. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, you can't rule that out. I mean, yeah. I, I guess the the flip of this is, you know, and, and to go back to Chelsea, the amount of talent in this front three is 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 a joke, right? And we assume from all, everything we've seen in preseason that the Tuchel is going to stay with this three four three formation. You know, it seems to, to cover the weaknesses of, uh, of any defensive lapses. It allows Kante to basically do what he does best. We've seen him shining again last season. Um, and, and then it sort of leaves these three front spots where one of them you assume is always Mason Mount. You know, one of them you assume is going to be Romelu Lukaku for the figure he's being brought in for, which means that you're kind of tossing up Kai Havertz, Timo Werner, Christian Pulisic, Callum Hudson-Odoi, Hakim Ziyech for one role. Which is madness. I mean, obviously, Hudson right Just rotate him. Say, you're playing next week. You play the week after. You play the week after. You play the week after. Well, someone said this to us. It was like Pep's, one of Pep's great strengths, right, is that he can rotate a team and keep most of them happy. Now, obviously, we've seen over the summer that it has finally hit a bit of a brick wall mm. with someone like Bernardo, who now, with the introduction of Jack Grealish, sees no future for himself. I think he's also season. just more fed up of Manchester than actually the team. Fair enough. And and I think you, you kind of <laughs> flip that off. Hey, Manchester's lovely, but I can understand why you might have weather concerns. He wants to go um, to Barcelona and, for some reason. Um, but there is this kind of element that, you know, one of Pep's great strengths is keeping people relatively happy in a system where he rotates heavily every time. You know, we laugh about Pep Roulette when we're talking about Fantasy Premier League, etc., etc. But, you know, it's one of those things that's impressive in that everyone seems to remain happy most of the time, despite the fact that they're in and out of the team here and there. Now, Tuchel is going to have a similar problem here. And one of the big things is how he deals with that on a personnel level. Yes, it is. And look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to draw too many conclusions to what happened back end of last season because he was still getting to grips with his players. But we really are still in that position where Callum Hudson-Odoi is probably pretty annoyed that he doesn't really get to play any football back end of last season. There were definitely opportunities to give him minutes. He wasn't given them. And there were some reports that Hakim Ziyech was a little bit disgruntled as well. So, Within the first four months, I think Tuchel had already kind of rubbed a couple of players up the wrong way there in that rotation. Now, again, it's getting to grips with it all and the ends justify the means. The man won a Champions League, like he knows what he's doing. Um, But it is definitely one of those storylines that would be very interesting to see how it plays out for sure. Okay. Well, there we have it. Sam's not quite 1 to 20, but we have Sam's, well, vision of how the Premier League is going to play out this year. Uh, I mean, there's a lot yet to come. There's a lot of transfers, I'd imagine, yet to come. And then things change across the course of the season. I will. I'm glad it's back. I'm glad it's back. Oh, I'm buzzing. Absolutely buzzing. I did my fantasy draft last night and I was like, here we go. Got the fever. Yeah, yeah, I've got a draft. Comes. I've got a draft Wednesday. Looking forward to that. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Right. I've just been invited into one today. I don't normally do draft, but um, you know, I was telling you the manager of Walton Ashton, Scott, 
he's he sent me a little message today. He said, one of our lads has pulled out. We'd like you to replace him in our draft league. So you're representing ranks, so the Walton Hersham draft. This is big. <laughs> Basically, mate, yeah. I'm against the management of Walton Hersham here. Do you, yeah. want my, do you want my spreadsheet? You're going to have to have me and Sam on speed dial. Yeah, yeah, basically, Sam, you send me the spreadsheet and I'll, I'll text you throughout the draft and just tell you to pick. Yeah, I mean, for those of you who want to get involved with our normal Fantasy Premier League, the link is in the description at the bottom. Um, right, after the break, well, the season's starting again, so it's time for Melon of the Week and Gibberish to return. Welcome back to the Rags FC podcast, where I'm delighted to say that my favourite moment of the week is back. Dean Jones, the floor is yours. It's time for Melon of the Week. Yay! Yay. This week's Melon of the Week is referee Jorge Figueroa. Here we go. We're back. We're back. Um, I can't believe the first one I'm doing is a referee, but this guy gave me no choice, unfortunately. Watching the friendly at the weekend between Real Betis and Roma. Um, the referee gives a goal that is an absolute nailed-on handball. Um, Alex Marino literally is on the floor and basically throws it in. Um and my, it's le- clear. my left back. My left it back. is clearly handball. And the Roma players are going mad. Um, and the refs have none of it. It's like, no, it was a goal. It was a goal. Mourinho comes on the pitch, uh, which was a bit, going a bit far in a preseason. Um, he's going mad in his face. He gets sent off. On the back of that, um, Lorenzo Pellegrini, who had been going mad nonstop since the moment the ball went in the net, he was then sent off. Um, the ref absolutely stood his ground on this one. I'm not sure what his agenda was, but this was ridiculous. Then he sends off Gianluca Mancini, um, not even 10 minutes later. Um, and then who got the last one? Rick Carstorp, is it? Yep. He gets sent off as well. So he sends off three players and Mourinho in a pre-season game. And he was just absolutely not. I don't know what he was doing. Like, it was completely unnecessary. He really should have just reconsidered that he'd got his original decision wrong. Yeah, Mourinho probably did go a bit far by walking halfway onto the... It was almost in the middle of the pitch shouting in the referee's face. It was (laughs) slightly Melanish behaviour in itself. Uh, But this is Mourinho. This is where we're at. Um, Yeah. Just set the tone for what's to come, really. Got me excited. Like, because the game, I'd been watching it a bit. I'd only had half an eye on it. And even the commentator sounded a bit bored at times. And even the, he, he really livened up. He was like, well, that got us all going, didn't it? It's like, yeah, it's actually, yeah, there's been a few goals here, mate. But you definitely sound much more lively when it's all kicking off with the referee. It's a, <laughs> it was it's a great fun. one. Yeah, the goal that Nabil Fekir scores, by the way, is an absolute beauty. So worth checking out. Um, it was, well. yeah. While it you're looking was. at the highlights of this game. 5-2 in the end, Jack, to your boys. Yeah, although to be fair, two of the goals were scored when, when Roma had eight men. So I'm not quite sure of that. Made men and no handball. coach. And one yeah. was a handball. So, so yeah. yeah. It's, um, and I think Mourinho and I, like, he's, he's, he's trying to prepare for a new season at a new club. Um, and it's not ideal, is it? If one decision's like that going against you and then three of your players are sent off as well. Like, there's no need for this. There's just no need for that at all. This is not what pre-season is for. <laughs> Come on, yeah. Come on, Jorge. 
Jorge, there's no need for this. This is not what it's all about. We're supposed to be, nobody gets booked in pre-season. That's the rules. Yeah, um, by the way, new boundaries for uh, Melon of the Week going forward. I've decided it's only going to be about matters on the pitch. So there's going to be no social media stuff, no admin stuff, because there's more and more of that coming in. There were a few examples I could have used this week, um, like the Juventus women tweet. Yeah. Um, I and think that was. Just, I would actually argue that that's not melanish behaviour. It's just like flower wrong. So that's uh, just that's just ridiculous. Yeah, but that was just an example of my head. And you know, like the admin stuff we had before, players not being registered for stuff and, and things like that. Like they're going to happen, but well, Wolfsburg should have been a contender because they made six substitutes in a Pokal match and now look like they're going to be disqualified. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's a great contender. That is good, but I'm not sure who I would give the Melon Award to there. Like who? Surely the manager made the decision. Surely the manager just made maybe. the call there. Yeah. Yeah, you, maybe, you'd imagine. Yeah. But maybe it's as the, the assistant referee just after decided Jasmine, to keep on players. After Jasmine told us last week that the Mark Van Bommel was not the man to, to take Wolfsburg forward, uh, he then decided to make six substitutes in a game <laughs> he was only allowed to make five in. So here we have it. Yeah, um, fair enough. You know, uh, she was Yeah, I want wrong. everyone to be able to go back and look at the incident. So go back now, look at look that incident up. Um, it's all over the place. And so you can, can go and find the videos of of that red card incident, well, four red card incidents and the, disallowed, <laughs> the goal that should have been disallowed. And um, yeah, you'll have a good time. And Nabil Fekir as well, Dee. We're all yes. having a great time. There's lots to see there. Right. G- game of pre-season, that was. Absolutely. There's a new gibberish alarm in town. <laughs> Very oh. short and sharp. That was horrible. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it sounds like a drill. I've decided, but oh, yeah, I, I it was enjoyed mu- doing very it. Very much like a drill. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was it was fun to make as a noise. So um, yeah, Sam, over to you. Take inspiration from your surroundings. Jack's had roadworks outside his building for the last three weeks, and it really shows. Uh, yeah, the gibberish is back, and I'm going to chime in with my takes on the Olympics. Given that that uh, festival of sport has just come to a close, I watched a fair bit of it. I watched some sports that I'm familiar with. I watched some new sports. I spent quite a lot of time watching stuff. I'm not sure why I did, but at the end of it all, I'd like to submit my three big changes that I would make to the Olympics. And uh, this is officially what I would present to the IOC if given the platform, which to be fair, this probably is the platform. So if you're listening, IOC, then listen closely. Uh, The first thing I would do as I would make trampolines much safer. I am surprised that we haven't found a way to engineer a safer trampoline by this point. It's 2021, and these things are still basically death traps. And I watched about five or six hours of trampolining over the course of the Olympics, and far more routines go horribly wrong than you would expect from the supposed world's best in this area. Like, several of them just end up with their leg going down between the canvas and the metal springs and just never coming back up. Several of them have to be caught on a big, like, soft sponge thing that the trainers sort of wheel around to make sure they catch them. I was shocked at how bad the world's best were at this, really. I mean, I did this for GCSEs. It didn't look that hard. Um, so what you're saying is not that the safety measures need to be improved, but the actual trampolinists I mean, there's, are there's, very good. There's two strands to this. I, I do think that the... Olympic trampolinists have got some way to go before they're reaching the level I expect. But we can do things to make these a little bit safer as well. Like, I know that there's going to be a trade-off in terms of springiness and tension, but I do think these trampolines could just be a bit bigger. You know, just just make them a bit bigger. They're very small. These people are going like four meters in the air and they're landing on something very small. And that's why they're getting it wrong. This thing is too difficult. I also think maybe bouncy castles 
around the edge of the trampoline. So if you do fall, it's mostly fun and not bad. Um, and my third and you get to finish your routine on a on a you get to finish your routine on a bouncy castle, which would be awesome. That'd be great. Um, and sort of, I'm not expecting this to happen in the next couple of years, but something to keep an eye on. Um, you know that game Portal, where you shoot a gun and it opens a portal in a wall, and then you sort of go through it and come out at a different spot. Yeah. Put a referee seven meters in the air on a trapeze line, and have him stand sit there with a portal gun. And if he thinks an athlete is in danger or he's falling off the side, shoot a portal, and then have him come out in like a big ball of like a ballpark, like plastic right. balls or or, an, or a bouncy castle. Wow. Okay. Athlete right. safety is important. Right. So that's the trampolining done. That's Thank the trampolining you. done. What's, what's the next second the thing I would do is I would I would definitely change what these judo fighters are wearing. I think this is nonsense. I think like roughly half of every judo bout is just the athletes rearranging their clothing because they have to wear like this weird loose fitting dressing gown. I think thing. it's called a gi, but yeah, it's basically a dressing gown and it's tied together at the waist by a fabric belt. And this is a sport that's based on grappling, manhandling and rolling around on the floor. And it is performed in loose fitting ropes. I mean, Every time they separate, they have to spend like five, six seconds sort of retying their own outfit together. It makes it a bit crap to watch, to be honest with you. Not only is it very difficult to figure out how to score a point and what Ippon means and why they've got one got one's got three yellow cards and one's got two. I don't know what's going on in this thing. They also have to stop every now and then to do this. And I guess I guess it's traditional. I guess it's ceremonial. Yes. But, but can you just wear something else, please? Do you, want me like, to, uh, get some, do you want me to get some actual thoughts on this? Like one of my best friends from uni is a British judo champion. Should I ask her what her thoughts are on, on, on the attire? Ask yeah. her if she's interested in maybe like, I don't know, Stone Cold Steve Austin's old spandex pants or something. Like surely they're going. There needs to be a better way. Yeah. Okay. Like latex cat suits or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see judo players in that. <laughs> I think they should have to wear football kits. Just like and then just be like more exciting. Why yeah, not? exactly. You have to represent your represent your club. That's really what we would be after, right? I think the most important thing to say here is that literally anything would be better. Okay. It's just yeah. completely and utterly. I mean, that's a good point. For to the be with you on that. I what about tuxes? Times change. Like, tuxes. Everyone in actual suits. Now that <laughs> is something I would watch. Now we're talking. My yeah, language. just like they're in a fight at a wedding. Yeah, mm. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, okay. Right. Last one, Sam. What is it? Right. The third thing I would do is bring back tug of war. Bring back. Was it in the Olympics before then? Oh, yeah, Between 1900 and 1920, aka the golden era of the Olympic sport. Yeah, I remember the 1921. Um... <laughs> Tug of war was in the Olympics. And over that 20 year span, I think we saw the very peak level of what athletics and sport can be, thanks to this sport. Um, I think that they changed the rules quite a lot uh, reading into it. They started out with a six-on-six six competition with a big rope. Obviously, you all know how tug-of-war works. I think the next year it went down to five per team, and then at one point it jumped up to eight. Then I saw some footage from 1912, you know, the final between Great Britain and Sweden. It looked like it was seven-on-seven, seven, so I don't know what they were doing here, but by 1920 they ditched it, which is a real shame. But there's actually some really interesting things about this, to be serious for a second. Basically, countries just used to send their police force to do the tug of war competition. So quite often the big dogs in this, Great Britain and Sweden, they were the dominant teams in this. It was just the Metropolitan Police against the Stockholm Police. That happened okay. quite a lot. And they just used the, it was like, who's got the toughest policeman? 
give them a gold medal. We're going to send the Met Police to the Olympics next year. I'd be all for it. It'd be brilliant. And there was a huge controversy in 19. Not all of them, Dean, to be fair. Only six. <laughs> yeah, just, just either five, six, seven, or eight, depending on what they think. Um, there's a huge controversy in 1908 where Great Britain's team, which was made up of Liverpool's police force, um, they turned up in very, very heavy shoes. And they were accused by the US of basically tampering with the equipment and wearing shoes that were illegal because they were so heavy they could barely walk in them. Uh, anyway, that challenge was lost. The Americans got absolutely flatlined in the pool and Great Britain, I think, won gold. So that's pretty good, pretty good. But it's been, what, hundred yeah, 101 years since we've had tug of war at the Olympics? Feels that time. I don't Bring know why it hasn't been brought back yet. I mean, they've got... They've got rock climbing in now. Rock climbing and skateboarding. BMX in. Yeah, I mean, skateboarding. The, the I'm looking at you, France 2024. Bring it back. Do Bring the it business. Back. It's easy. It's spectator friendly. It's basically like watching World's Strongest Man. Like, everyone loves World's Strongest Man. Yeah. Come on. Bring it back. Yeah, there we have it. Thank you, Sam. That was... um. Well, wonderful. Thank you, yep. as usual, for uh, for a brilliant gibberish. You've had a whole summer to think of the, a few now, so I assume <laughs> there to be you know, a, a real stack waiting for us over the course of the next few weeks in the gibberish rankings. They're expecting high-caliber gibberish for a little while in the future now. Uh, and with that, we should probably call things a day. Uh, this has been your Premier League preview and, and friends um, on Ranks FC. I've been Jack Collins. Thank you very much, Mr. Sam Tai. Cheers, mate. And thank you very much to Mr. Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. Thank you for listening. We hope that you've enjoyed this preview. We'll be back on Friday here again on the main feed for a La Liga preview, which is going to replace Friday's notebook, which would normally only be on Patreon as part of this week, where we're giving everyone a taster of what it's like to be part of that Ultras community. If you are interested in joining us permanently for three shows a week, the link is at the bottom of the description of this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you on Friday. Take it easy, Rank Squad. Peace.